You are listening to a podcast of Elam Lutheran Church in Osakis, Minnesota. Our passion is to be an oasis of life-giving water where lost and wandering souls can find eternal refreshment. For more content and to find out more about our ministries, please visit osakiselamchurch.com. Ruth chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. starts out like this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, Go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, She is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, she offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men. Let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stocks for her from the bundles and leave them here for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for your servant, Ruth. God, for this wonderful little book that we have in the Old Testament that teaches us about redemption, that teaches us about grace, that teaches us about how you Notice people who otherwise slip through the cracks. God, as we dive in this morning, I pray that you would, you would convict us. God, I pray that you would be at work in, in our hearts to reveal the, the ways that uh, we often fall short of this, Heavenly Father. 
and in many ways that we are the vulnerable and the unnoticed. But even more than that, God, would you point us toward Jesus Christ and for the answer and the hope and the peace that the gospel gives. Speak to us now. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in high school, my senior year, I played sports. I grew up in a small town, 560 people, right? Bemidji was nearby. They had a Walmart, so we thought that that was like the, the thriving metropolis kind of. And I, basketball was probably my favorite sport, but my career, if you were to graph it out, it wouldn't go like this. It was more just kind of like, meh. Like, I was good. I was talented, but I was never aggressive enough, so I was always the guy that kind of passed the ball off to, to someone else to shoot it. I could hit the shot, but I would, for whatever reason, just didn't have that assertive bone in my body, I guess. But my senior year, I ended up, we had a good team, but I ended up riding the bench pretty much the whole season. And it came to the end of the season. We had this thing called the Basketball Awards Banquet. I don't know if you guys do these kinds of things. At the end of the sports seasons, you get the whole group together and you give out awards, right? And the coach was up front and he was recognizing the seniors. So he calls each senior by name and, and brings them up front and everybody applauds and the next one comes and they applaud and I'm applauding and I'm pl- applauding as I'm watching all of my teammates go up there and pretty soon he looks around and, and he, it's, it's just me who's, who's left. I'm the only senior left sitting down. He looks around and he's like, well, I think I got everybody. And luckily there were some parents there who were kind of like, Luke, 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 you're, you forgot, you forgot Luke. And he's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Luke, Luke, come on up here. And at that point, it just felt, it felt kind of like I wasn't really even, like I may as well have just kind of walked out of there. I wasn't really part of the team. It was more, I felt like an afterthought. You know, I felt very much overlooked. I felt very unnoticed. And I wonder as you reflect on your own life, at what point and in what way can you say that you felt unnoticed. And what did that feel like, to be unnoticed, to be overlooked, to be the one who is passed by? That's what we're going to talk about in our story, in our text this morning. And there's a lot of different reasons many of us feel passed over. Many of us may feel overlooked or unnoticed. It could be something as simple as your age. If you're a young person, Right? Nobody really seems to care all that much about what your opinions and your thoughts are. It's easy to be overlooked because you're young. The funny thing is, as you get older and you kind of age out, you also get overlooked. And at times it can feel like they're sort of putting you out to pasture, right? Like, yeah, yeah, Grandma, yeah, Grandpa, we, we get it. Like, maybe back in the day it was kind of like this, but, but not anymore. And maybe you feel a little purposeless, a little bit like you are not being noticed. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's sin of a particular sort, of a particular kind, that you have felt always separates you 
from other people and in a way causes them not to take notice of you or to overlook you because others haven't gotten over your past sin or you haven't gotten over the past sin of others. There are all sorts of causes, reasons we might say, man, I, I really feel overlooked and I, I, I am unnoticed. I am one who has gone unnoticed. And in our text this morning with Ruth, we have someone very unnoticed. In fact, in verse 10, right here, it says, this is chapter 2, verse 10, at this, this is when Boaz speaks to her for the first time. At this, she bows down with her head to the ground and she asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Now, our English translations don't pick this up, but... There's two words here, notice and a foreigner, actually come from the same, the exact same word. So there's kind of a, a word play here. And a more literal way to translate that would be something along the lines of, why have you noticed me, the unnoticeable? I am one who is overlooked. Why are you looking at me? Why are you giving your full, un undivided attention, favor, and love to me, right? Remember, Ruth is a, a woman. She is a widow, and she is a foreigner. She is someone who, as we've mentioned again and again and again, is vulnerable in so many different ways, and she is someone that would so easily get passed over. And in addition to that, uh, it's interesting that Ruth is called a Moabite because she is from the land of Moab. And this label, Ruth the Moabite, it never really leaves throughout the entire book. Not after she follows Naomi back to Bethlehem. Not even after she meets Boaz. She's, she's kind of stuck with this label, the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the Moabite. She is kind of forever in, in, in many ways being labeled uh, by her ethnicity and by her race. One scholar comments and says, you know, a pretty good reason we might think that this is the case, that she is labeled the Moabite from beginning to end, is to make clear that there was some racial tension that existed between, say, the Israelites and the Moabites. Makes perfect sense. So Ruth the unnoticeable in so many different ways. And here is the thing. We as humans, we like to think that we have progressed. We like to think that we have moved beyond this sort of attitude. And, and as we've, we've grown with technology and as a society, We've also grown in our moral capacity, and we're better people now than they, they were back in the day. But the thing is, Scripture makes abundantly clear that the human heart does not change. It does not change. And what we are really good at is the same thing that people in the story of Ruth were good at, which is to overlook people. We're really, really good at overlooking 
people, at not seeing, at not taking notice of people. Maybe literally people we walk by every, every day and, and someone that we don't take notice of. Could be a neighbor living next to us whom we don't even know their name and we've lived to, next to for 20 years. I've been in that boat, right? Overlooking and not seeing people is endemic to our sin nature. <clears throat> in fact, it was so important that Jesus felt the need to tell a parable about it. You know this one, probably the most well-known parable. Parable of the Good Samaritan, right? A man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he gets waylaid by robbers. And these robbers, they, they take all of his money they take all of his clothes, they beat him up, they leave him half dead, laying there on the side of the road. So this guy is in dire straits. He's in a bad spot. And then along comes, on his way to the temple, in all likelihood, a priest. What does the priest do? Veers off to the other side, goes around him. Now, I, I don't have time for this. Maybe my hands are going to become unclean by dealing with this sinner. The reason is not given, but for whatever reason, he passes right around him, ignores him, overlooks him, doesn't even notice him, keeps on going. The next person comes along, a Levite, who was also a temple worker. So these are people, you'll notice, that as Jews, they would have thought as being like the best of, of Christians. So Jesus is, is trying to tell us something here. So this Levite comes along and does the exact same thing. Walks around on the other side. Man lying half dead alongside the road won't touch him. And then a Samaritan comes along. And Samaritans and Jews did not get along at all. They basically had a different religion that they followed. And they were thought of as, as dogs. And they were often spit upon when the two encountered one another, and so this person who is kind of an, an enemy of the Israelites comes along, and this is the one that bandages his wounds, puts him on his donkey, brings him to the inn, pays everything to make him well again. And in this parable, we often think of ourselves as the good Samaritan, when the reality is that Jesus is the one who is the good Samaritan. And what that means is when we see this priest and this Levite passing by, we see ourselves. We see a reflection of our own tendency to not notice others. Well, in our book today, in the text this morning, we encounter Boaz, the eligible bachelor, right? And Boaz comes along. We don't know a lot about him. There's not much given as far as biographical information. He's from the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was, remember, Naomi's husband who had died in the land of Moab. So he's a relation of some sort. We're not told that he's their guardian redeemer. We'll get to that at a later point. But he's a relative, and he is a man of some standing in the community. It says he was an, an upright. Your, your Bibles may translate this word differently, but what it really means is this is someone who uh, 
had some status in the community. He was thought well of. He had a good reputation and uh, probably a man of some wealth, right? We find out later he has these servants working in his field for him. So we're introduced to to Boaz, and, and he encounters Ruth in this field, and Ruth is speaking to my, Naomi, and she's saying, well, hey, how about I, I, I go along and, and out into these fields, and uh, I glean behind the harvesters. Well, what's going on there? Uh, if I were to go out to Phil Larson's field out here and follow around behind his tractor, he would probably think I'm a little bit crazy, right? Like picking up stuff. But the thing is, in Bible times, this was one of the commandments explicitly given by God. So here is Deuteronomy 24, 19. It says, when you are harvesting your field, and he's speaking to the Israelites here, when you are harvesting your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So right from the very beginning, God is making provision for foreigners. He's making provision for the unnoticed, for the people on the fringes, for the people on the edges, people who would otherwise go unnoticed. And in other passages in the Old Testament, it talks about how the Israelites are not supposed to glean right up until the edge of their field, but they're supposed to leave some, right, for the foreigners, for the widows, for the orphans, for the weak and the powerless. These are the ones that God has a special heart for. And so the way that harvesting worked back then, they didn't have GPS, they don't have the plow, right? So they're out in the barley field. So the harvesters would grab the stock of grain and they would have their, what is this? Sigh? There we go, okay. They would cut it off and they would hold the bundle in their arms. They would run along. They would keep doing this until the bundle got too heavy to, to really carry. They would drop it down. And then behind the harvesters, there would be a group of, women that would come along, and the women who were all working for this farmer, they're working for Boaz, would come along and they would bundle the grain up into more manageable bundles. And then after the women came the foreigners and these people who were just kind of looking for the scraps of whatever was left over. And this is where Ruth follows. But the interesting thing here you'll notice is the way that Boaz treats Ruth. Because he goes far and above what the requirements of the, the law of Moses say. The law just basically says, look, don't glean everything. Leave some for them. But you notice that Boaz, he, his kindness goes way above and beyond this. He says, I'm going to put you at the, at, the, at the very front of these harvesters. He says, I want you to go with my women at the front, like right behind the harvesters. Or right behind the... Um, not the harvesters, behind my young women. And so she's getting first choice of what's left. And then the morning goes on and afternoon comes and she sits down and he says, this was before lunch, he said, go and, and have a drink when you get thirsty from my, from my food, from my, from my servants. This wasn't part of what was required. Usually it would have been the other way around. Like a foreigner would have to serve the Israelite. Now he's reversing the whole thing and saying, let my people serve you water if you get thirsty. And then they come to lunch. And they eat roasted grain and the wine that they dip the bread in. And Boaz himself, the owner, he serves Ruth. 
This was an incredibly humble thing for Boaz to do. It wouldn't be normal to, to share a table with, with a foreigner, much less to serve her with your own two hands. It's incredible the lengths that he is going to. And then to top it all off, after lunch is done, Ruth goes back out in the field and, and Boaz says, look, I want, I want my workers, I want you guys to let her glean among the sheaves. So now not just following behind, but going between the sheaves where the harvest would have been so much more plentiful and much more abundant. And, and he said this earlier too, I want you to protect her. I want you to protect her and to watch over her because a foreign woman living in the land of Israel would be subject potentially to all sorts of exploitation, abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual potentially would have been a very real possibility there. And so Boaz is providing this shield for Ruth. And he's treating her as one of his own family, even though she is, is not. So the day comes to an end. And it says, by the end of the day, Ruth had harvested, after she beat out the barley, she had harvested, what, an ephah. This was like 30 to 50 pounds worth of grain that she got in one day. Now, a typical foreigner would hope to glean maybe one to two pounds in a day. She's got 30 to 50. I mean, this is like an entire month's worth of work just in a single day. So what we see then is, is, is Boaz stepping in and Ruth receiving abundantly, mercifully, something that was not hers, something that she did not earn, something that she was not entitled to. And Boaz goes above the expectations of what was required in order to show mercy and to show love to her. In the story of Ruth and Boaz, the love that Boaz shows to Ruth is a picture, it's a mirror meant to reflect God's love for us. See, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a great cost as well in order to provide for Ruth. You'll notice this. We might read this story and think, well, this is a He's a rich farmer. He's, what, giving her an extra 30, 50 pounds of food. Like, what's the big deal, right? Well, the cost to this would have been more than just uh, in terms of money, right? Bethlehem was a small town. We all know how small towns work. You get reputations very, very easily. And so for Boaz to risk this, he's kind of putting his reputation on the line to help her and he's, he's willing to be thought maybe not well of by the community. Who is this guy who's, who's out helping foreigners, who's out helping the, the weak and the unnoticed and, and caring and providing for them? There's a deep cost to what Boaz did for Ruth. And there is an even greater cost for what God does for us. This is Ephesians 2.19. Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, 
That's a bad way to start a reading because that means a whole bunch of stuff already came before that. Consequently, uh, it's talking about Jew and Gentile being reconciled through Jesus Christ. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you Gentiles have now been brought near. You've been incorporated into the body of Christ by his death. And this is where verse 19 picks up then. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We who were foreigners, we who were far off, we who were rebellious and, and vulnerable to sin and, and lost and unnoticed, God noticed us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world to redeem us from our sin. In Ruth, we see a reflection of ourselves. And in Boaz, we see a reflection of God's love for us. So as we begin to wrap up this morning, I want to just ask you a, a question to kind of think about and, and to ponder and Luke already brought this up. Who are the, in, the unnoticed people in my life? Who are the unnoticed people in my life? Who are the ones that I encounter but maybe don't even know that they're there? Who are the ones that feel like they're slipping through the cracks and not receiving love? And that desperately need the gospel. Who are these unnoticed people in my life? Main point for today. If you remember one thing, just remember this. God notices the unnoticed. God notices the unnoticed. And that, my friends, is good news for you and me. Amen. Hey friends, Pastor Luke here. Thanks so much for tuning in. I trust that you've been blessed by our message from God's Word today. Hey, we'd love to connect with you more. If you have comments or questions, you can email me directly at pastorchellog at gmail.com. That's pastorkjolhaug at gmail.com. As we wrap up our time together today, please receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. <laughs>